Hey everyone, Jawad here with Hit The Apex Podcast. How is everyone doing? Hope everyone is well out there, wherever you are in the world. Um, I'm doing all right. <laughs> nice to have a day off and a day to just look after one's mental health as well, because um, very important that and relaxing watching the NBA playoffs today. Just saw the Golden State Warriors eliminate the Denver Nuggets to move on into the Western Conference semis. And um, sadly for the Nuggets, yeah, with plenty of injuries then and Nikola Jokic pretty much carrying them, couldn't quite uh, extend this series. But I'm happy for the Warriors as well because it's been what, two two seasons they've not been able to make playoffs, they've had injuries, you know, Clay Thompson's been out for that long, and um, he's back there with his splash brother, Steph Curry, so I have a feeling they'll go on and win. just makes me happy because I am not a fan of those pylon teams, you know, sorry, Lakers and Nets fans, but yeah, going after the best players or whatever, splashing the cash, um prefer a team that has uh, loyalty to its players and coaches as well, so that's a big thing. <laughs> anyway, you're probably wondering, hang on, you're a racing podcast, why are we talking basketball? But um, yeah, it was just nice to sit and uh, enjoy some NBA earlier today. But yeah, we've got some racing to talk about. Had the Emilia Romagna Grand Prix over the weekend, going to go over that. Um, not the most entertaining race, a lot of people have made their thoughts pretty clear about that but you know as with any Formula One race weekend there's plenty of storylines and things to take away from it that's why we do what we do people who do podcasts and create content you know if they're if it was purely boring then you wouldn't be talking about anything so um, that in itself is interesting maybe maybe think on that <laughs> um but yeah great great uh for red bull not so great for ferrari great for mclaren um not for mercedes either which we'll go into maybe we'll talk about miami which is the next race in a couple of weeks time or or less you know more just over seven days time i should say um and the supercast championship as well which is back in perth for the first time in two years too so um they finally opened up their borders so people can actually go in and come back from wa so Red Bull essentially spoiling the Ferrari party in Tifosi Heartland. Max Verstappen walking away with a grand slam as well. Uh, pole position, fastest in the sprint or was won the sprint race, fastest lap in the race, fast uh, led every single lap. Sorry, I just you know it was like uh, what what makes up a grand slam again. Um, one uh, was leading every lap and then of course won the race and. Something Red Bull desperately needed, you got to say, after the first three races. I mean, Max did win the second round in Saudi, but the other two races he failed to finish because of reliability problems. So walking away with maximum points over the weekend, you see what I did there, Max, maximum, bad joke. <laughs> um, maximum points, and actually the most ever points anyone scored in an F1 weekend, courtesy of the... Uh, Eight points now on the table if you win the sprint. 
and then of course the fastest lap point and then 25 points for the win so walking away with a big haul of points there and actually taking a chunk out of the lead um championship leader Charles Leclerc and we'll go into his weekend as well in a bit more detail because he did throw away quite a few points of here with a mistake of his own first Red Bull 1-2 finish as well since the 2016 Malaysian Grand Prix so you know significant race Malaysia 2016 um, when you look back to that year's championship and it feels like an eternity ago that year and that was the last time we saw Red Bull actually get a 1-2 so you know it's been slim pickings for them I mean when you look at the success that they had last year in particular um, it was surprising that they didn't have a 1-2 finish but yeah going back to Malaysia 2016 the day Daniel Ricciardo uh, won ahead of Max Verstappen and um, yeah Sergio Perez backing up uh, Verstappen on this day and really doing a good job this season. I mean, no one probably has anything bad to say about Checo. It's all looking good for him for his future at Red Bull, you got to say, particularly while Verstappen is there because, you know, like we saw with the relationship between um, Valtteri Bottas and Lewis Hamilton the last five years at Mercedes, I think this is the kind of um, relationship we are seeing between Perez and Verstappen as well, and it's only going to make them stronger when the second driver does a good job. And, you know, Perez doesn't seem too bothered about, you know, championship or who knows, we haven't really heard him talk about it. He's very much in the um, the team player uh, mindset, and it's really good to see because, you know, he almost wasn't going to be on the grid last year until Red Bull threw him a bone and said, we like the way you race and we need that within our team, um, considering the last two drivers that they uh, had in the car after Daniel Ricciardo left didn't really work out. So great for Red Bull. Ferrari, I guess, you know, Leclerc, he's been pretty flawless this season so far up until this point, And um, his weekend basically was highlighted by the mistake he made 10 laps from the end of the race. He ended up in P6, threw away an unlikely, you know, he threw away what would have been a likely podium finish with a faster slap potentially. Um, but, you know, just, yeah, mistake was made. We'll go over that in a bit more detail when we recap how the race panned out. By ending up sixth is how he has lost quite a bit of his lead in the championship. He came in with 46 points over Max Verstappen. Max wasn't even in P2, yet now it has been cut to 27 points. So it's game on again in this year's world championship, like, you know, a lot of people expected. Some people thought, oh, Ferrari will run away from it. But, you know, it's just the way that it all ebbs and flows. Um, first weekend as well that we had the sprint uh, return for 2022. Um, so it was a somewhat of a success last year you know we had uh, had a good one in Silverstone Monza yeah and then and um Sao Paulo yeah you know but I guess the one that we saw here in Imola um okay we saw some good overtakes there was some criticism of course yeah coming from George Russell and Mercedes saying that you know they're focusing on the overtakes at the front but in the midfield and at the rear of the field it wasn't really easy uh but you know that's 
I guess Mercedes in general, their car just doesn't seem to like overtaking, unless you were George Russell, of course, more on that a bit later. But um, given the fact that Friday running was wet and you only have on a sprint weekend, you have two practice sessions, one on Friday, one on Saturday, then the one hour qualifying session, the traditional qualifying on the Friday, having had only two hours of running on Friday, um, including qualifying, and of course, being in the wet, it made Saturday an unknown in the dry. So the fact that they only had one more practice session on Saturday before the sprint race, um, Charles Leclerc eager to get up on Max. He got ahead of him at the start, Max having a gear sync issue, but of course gets caught um, later on in the race and passed with the Ferrari having overworked the soft tyre. So pushing a bit too hard to stay in front. Ferrari perhaps not having the pace that they had in Melbourne, um, which saw them so dominant. And that's the interesting thing that, you know, we kind of have a, have like track specific, you know, pace this year or like, you know, cars doing better on certain tracks, you know, something that, you know, is always been a part of Formula One, but when you've had one team in particular dominating for the last decade or whatever, then it kind of falls by the wayside. So, you know, we saw Ferrari untouchable in Melbourne, but they come here, they're on the back foot, Red Bull favouring these conditions a bit more. Um, so Max was able to get back past ahead and um, ended up winning the sprint. We saw Carlos Sainz eager to impress as well after his disaster of a weekend in Australia um, and it wasn't looking too good for him in qualifying of course uh, had a crash the end of Q2 and then qualified 10th I think but did move up in the sprint to fourth behind um, Checo Perez as well who just relishes sprint conditions and race conditions in general except for Silverstone last year of course which was pretty disastrous for him um, and while we're talking about Carlos Sainz he coming into the weekend uh, Ferrari and he announced that they signed a new agreement as well, which sees him remain at Ferrari until the end of 2024. So basically on running to the same duration as Charles Leclerc's contract. So it's really important for those two to stay together and, you know, build the team that they're building around them as well, or the team that's been built around them, you know, by Mattia Bonotto and co. Um, and they don't seem eager to shake things up anytime soon. So I think that's really important given that after Australia, especially uh, a lot of question marks were being asked of science and his headspace and whether he's actually cut up for Ferrari in, in this sort of form where they're fighting for a championship and whatnot. Is he just going to be the rear gunner or whatever? But, you know, Ferrari see his importance and his worth, whether it is going to be as Leclerc support driver or, you know, a solid points contributor or championship contender, whatever, in the future, they want to see him uh, next to Leclerc until the end of 2024, so that was really good for him. Um, we saw Kevin Magnussen as well, like coming into the weekend, there were people who were predicting that Haas could even win the sprint race now, <laughs> that sounds bizarre, um, in, you know, some fantasy world, it might have come true if there was wet weather again on Saturday, but Magnussen, he qualified fourth on the Friday, it was Haas's best qualifying result, um, but then in the sprint, he did drop to eighth, but still got a point as part of the new points system in the sprint race, so uh, he got a point there on Saturday too, points again on Sunday for them, 
coming into the race itself the track was wet for the start um they all started on the intermediate tires max gets a good start um and off into the distance while we have an incident between daniel ricardo and carlos Sainz at the tamborello chicane um not <laughs> second time in two races that uh science has made it hasn't made it beyond the first couple of laps so that was quite disappointing for him to be out of this one already and then daniel ricardo what what do you say and now that McLaren have started to find some form again as well, we saw Lando Norris finish on the podium this weekend. The the you know bells are beginning to toll again for Ricardo, like they were last year before he took that victory at Monza. And what do you say? Like you know, he was signed to the team to be kind of that spearhead driver at the time. It wasn't known whether you know Lando was gonna be kind of the de facto leader of the team you know Ricardo's the established race winner he brings all this gravitas and marketing you know stuff to the team you know fits in with the team culture or whatever but just for whatever reason it hasn't worked so a lot of questions are going to be asked of Ricardo um talks of his future potentially you know he is with the team till 2024 uh as well or till the end of next year, sorry, um, I should say 2023, um, the three-year deal that he signed um, when he first came over. But after that, or even before that, you know, there possibly could be changes, possibly an American IndyCar driver might um, come over, as has been speculated. So, Ricardo um, apologising to, to science, of course, <laughs> after the race, um, you know, I guess that's nice of him to do that, but then just, again, wastes the opportunity that he had by qualifying, uh, or starting the race in sixth after a good sprint on Saturday, and, you know, another chunk of points lost for McLaren, as was for Ferrari with, with Sainz, but in this instance, it wasn't really Sainz's fault, because where was he going to go, and um, there was no penalties given, it was deemed as a racing incident, so um, for Daniel, it basically just became a race of uh, survival, you know, he was at the back of the field, he became the first driver to switch over to the medium tyre, um, everyone then followed suit at that point, uh, Sebastian Vettel, another one coming in after that, um, and then we saw the leaders come in on lap 19, so Checo being the first one to pit, and then Max and Leclerc on the next lap coming in, and uh, Leclerc, sorry, Checo was overcut by the Ferrari, but you know, his pace was too good, he was able to get himself back ahead of Leclerc, um, and just Leclerc could not match the pace of the Red Bulls all weekends, and while Red Bull were leading comfortably, 1-2, Ferrari decided to pit for a second time to get the soft tyres on, um, my guesses was that perhaps their strategy was to go for the fastest lap and settle for third, but for whatever reason, we saw obviously Perez and Verstappen pit again for the soft tyres as well, thinking, oh, well, well, we can also, we also have time in our hand, we can do fastest lap as well, get the fastest lap, get that extra point. Um, and then we saw Leclerc chasing after Perez rather aggressively, you know, when he closed, closed in on the Red Bull, but he goes into the curb 
at uh, Varianti Alta too hard, you know, it's like we saw him driving a, a supercar or something, V8, one of the um, V8 supercars, because they go over the curb so aggressively and they can get away with it, but, you know, in a Formula 1 car, that's not very advisable. Um, hits the curb too hard, comes out, spins, hits the wall, lucky he didn't damage the car enough for it to just stay there and retire from the race and get zero points he was able to come back into the pits get a new front wing and go out and overtake a bunch of cars to finish sixth but he should have just settled for third and faster slap I mean I had I had a moment you know in my rather tired state at what two o'clock in the morning three o'clock in the morning on Monday on um, F1 Chronicle the Grid Talk podcast saying you know is this the same old Ferrari mistakes that we're going to see this year, you know, like we saw in 2017 and in 2018 in particular with Sebastian Vettel where, you know, they finally have a car worthy of um, going after the championship, but then it's the driver that makes the mistake, it's the team that makes mistakes, strategists or whatever. Um, Are they ever just going to get it together? And, you know, early season evidence, you know, the first three races were like, it's all looking really good. You know, they haven't put a foot wrong yet, but then inevitably (laughs) they put a foot wrong. And then that lead that Leclerc had, 46 points over Max, cut to 27 now. And, you know, it's 26 points on a normal weekend that you can get. Um, so if Max has another good weekend like he did and Leclerc has a bad weekend or whatever, I know this sounds very Will Buxton, but then, you know, Max will be leading the championship or within, within a point. (laughs) Um, but yeah, what, what else do you say about Ferrari with, with, um, with the way that Leclerc went after it? I mean, having said that, after Melbourne, you know, it was one of his most mature drives. He seems like he is ready to fight for it. And then even when he was fighting with Verstappen wheel-to-wheel in the opening races, that, you know, he's got the mental capacity to do that now. Um, what happened in Imola, was it because of the pressure of the Tifosi being in front of home, well, being on home soil for Ferrari? Um, and, you know, f- that's what Ferrari does, is put that extra pressure on you. I think... You just have to. It's easy for me to sit here and say in my in my comfortable chair that you just have to try and put that behind you, ignore it, and just treat it like any other race. You know, I mean, this is of course a marathon and not just um, a sprint. Even though, yeah, you could say oh, sprint race this weekend. It's it's a marathon. You've got twenty four, no, twenty three races. I think so. I mean, if they have a replacement for Russian Grand Prix, it'll be 23 races this year. Um, You've got still all of the season to go. Like, let's just say 19 races to go this season. That's a long time. And to be making mistakes this early, especially when your rival has had two races already where they've scored zero points, and now to then gift them essentially more points by making a mistake like that. That's all on the driver. Um, yeah, you know, you don't know if that's um, it's going to be enough for them to, to win at the end of the year. So you'd hope that they learn from this. You'd hope that Leclerc learns from this as well and uh, doesn't repeat the same mistake. Otherwise, yeah, it's, you know, you're basically back in Sebastian Vettel 2017-2018 Ferrari territory 
where you know he makes a mistake and then it turns into like a run of mistakes and then before you know it Max Verstappen can wrap up the championship by Mexico or the United uh, or the um, United States Grand Prix in Texas like we saw Hamilton do all those years ago so let's hope that that's not the case but you know it's it's a it's a dire warning you know to perhaps not not end up in that uh, boat again so Red Bull crossing the line one two Leclerc in sixth Lando Lando Norris inheriting third place and a good reward for McLaren you got to say after the first two races and you know such a difficult test in Bahrain where all that encouraging pace that they had in Barcelona and the form that they had in Barcelona pre-season um, basically got flipped on its head it's like oh this is where we're hitting panic buttons and it's disaster for McLaren again it's back to the the Honda days or whatever um they still finished what 18 seconds behind the race lead um they're still not quite there on the one lap pace in terms of qualifying but Lando just gets it done you know he puts pulls the weekend together he was strong in qualifying on Friday strong again in the sprint even though he lost a couple of places and um dropped to fifth but to be there in the race he had a lonely race but to be there in fourth fourth would have still been a great finish for him but to then be rewarded with that podium I think is great not only for himself but the team especially who've um, stuck with uh, him and also stuck with what they've got at the moment they've not even had any significant upgrades since the start of the season that will most likely come in Barcelona in another race's time or whatever so to have a car that yeah you know it struggled in Bahrain and in Saudi uh, Melbourne they did well here they've had a podium as well second podium in two years for Lando in Imola as well um such a strong weekend and to also be the third fastest car you know th- uh, the fastest Mercedes-powered car as well, which um, I'll talk about Mercedes themselves in a second. But um, yeah, you can't really fault Lando and McLaren in that instance. And hopefully the upgrades that they will be bringing in a couple of races time uh, will put them into that top of the midfield like contention or put them in that position firmly. Well, yeah, you know, when you look at where Ricardo finished down in um, 18th and last of the classified runners, basically, it's like if you had both cars up there, it would look a lot better for the championship, a lot better for the Constructors' Championship, which they are currently in fourth position ahead of um, the likes of Alpine and AlphaTauri, uh, but behind Mercedes still. But, you know, that could very much change still. Um depending on how things play out and we're on the subject of Mercedes now um uh, George Russell excellent excellent weekend from him again backing up the podium that he had in Melbourne with fourth and I think the only driver um this season to have been finished in the top five in the opening races so far opening four races so another little good feat another feat for him to celebrate good job um 
He had a great start, actually. He ended the sprint race in 11th, so started 11th on the grid for the actual Grand Prix. Um, worked his way up the field, passed a bunch of cars, and um, was looking handy in fourth there. Would have been would have been fifth if it wasn't for the Leclerc retirement. Um, all while his teammate uh, finished 13th. His teammate, the seven-time world champion, Lewis Hamilton, down in 13th, didn't qualify in the top 10 um, on Friday, uh, couldn't make it out of the, you know, bottom 10 either for in the sprint, so was 14th at the end of the sprint race, and basically only made up a position because Esteban Ocon was hit by a five-second time penalty for actually um, for an unsafe release during the pit stop phase, which, you know, saw him come out in front of Hamilton rather unsafely. So Hamilton actually lost a bunch of time because of that, but he could not get past Pierre Gasly or race. You know, he's basically stuck behind the Alpha Tower. He couldn't pass and shouldn't be just because the fact that there was no DRS enabled for like half of the race, even though there were calls um, that it should have been, even though um, they were still on intermediate tyres. But even when they switched to slick tyres, it took until like lap 34 or something for race control to um, turn on DRS, whether it was because of the big shunt that happened at Imola last year between George Russell and Valtteri Bottas going into turn one. Um, they didn't feel confident given that the um, parts of the Tamborello chicane were still wet, so there would have been no grip and yeah, you know, all that sort of safety jazz. Um, but even with DRS, Hamilton could not do anything um, and was basically stuck behind uh, Gasly for 13th. Worst weekend you got to say for Hamilton and it doesn't really help when there's just a lot of uh, negative negative press out there there's um, all these insinuations innuendos whatever you want to say um, there was a, apparently a verbal spat if you want to call it between Hamilton and Toto Wolf after qualifying Hamilton still has his helmet on in the garage and Toto Wolf looking very animated it was all in front of cameras or whatever and um, you know that's been blown out and then you've got Hamilton saying as well in the interviews that you know he's out of championship contention um, and then all week I've basically seen on my timeline or on social media feeds whether it's Instagram or Twitter just posts coming out of Mercedes and, and Hamilton as well about you know I'm not finished yet, or, you know, he's our world champion and all that sort of thing, and, you know, that's that's great, you know, they want to keep themselves motivated and everything like that, but I feel like it's too early to hit the panic, panic rooms, you know, to be pushing the panic buttons, like, I th it's all a bit unnecessary, um, and... I know this is the team that's won eight world championships on the bounce. You know, they've won seven drivers' championships in that time since 2014. They've been the dominant team of the sport. But we're four races into a new cycle of regulations. Um, and change of regulations is something that Mercedes have stayed on top of even during the high, um, even since 2014 when we switched to the. Um, aerodynamic beasts that we had in 2017 and then the f changes in 2019 as well with the front wings and all 
Um, and then it was until 2021 where the floor changes, the subtle floor changes kind of unsettled them and put Red Bull on top. Um, but yeah, to be, you know, in a state of panic and stuff, I mean, of course, a team that's won, you know, for so long is probably not used to losing, you know, and a worst result for them would have been like a, a DNF for one car or like a double DNF, which has only happened um, a handful of times or not even a handful of times since 2014. So to me, I feel like if, you know, they're ruling themselves out of championship contention this season, which, okay, fine, you know, I mean, you still have a whole season to go. There's a lot to learn about this new era of car there's a lot of points on the table. Um, you know, Ricardo even said earlier in the season about his own team that, you know, he wouldn't be surprised if they won a race this year, even though they're where they were form-wise and car-wise or whatever. That's That could be true for Mercedes too. So, you know, it's not like Hamilton's um, untouched record of uh, winning a race every season since he started in F1 back in 2007 is at risk or anything. It could still yet happen with, with 19 races to go. Um, but to me, uh, this is just going to be one of those seasons where it might define the character of the Mercedes team. It might define how good of a leader Toto Wolff is, you know, like, sure, he's been there for all the good days and all the victories and whatnot, and they've had some bad days too, but to get themselves out of where they are at the moment, where they're not going to be in fighting for a championship, they don't understand their car, they're just, they're nowhere really, um, that's going to define, define leadership, it's going to define, hopefully, Hamilton's leadership as well within the team, his experience, you know, he's obviously as a seven-time world champion and having had some of the best machinery under him um, throughout his tenure in Formula One can give the feedback necessary to the engineers and designers to uh, look to a new direction or to see if they can improve the development direction that they're going in with this car or the concept of this car and whatnot. So, I feel like, you know, all the negative stuff that's going on in the world and social media and the press about them is kind of just, you just, you know, yeah, I think it's just unnecessary. Instead, we should probably judge them, you know, uh, at the end of the season when, you know, we see how it's all turned out because they could very well, with, with a single upgrade package, turn their fortunes around, be like, oh, okay, so that's what's causing um, all the porpoising issues we're having, and this is what's going to fix it. Great, you know, because it's not like all the greatest engineering minds that Mercedes have had for the last eight years have disappeared or whatever. They're all still there. You know, James Allison um, has been an instrumental part of that, obviously, since he came over to the team in, I think, 2017 or 2018 or whatever it was. Um, they may have lost, you know, Andy Cowell on the engine side from uh, Bricksworth or whatever, but it's the power unit thing cannot be fixed anyway because it's it's they're frozen until the new regs come in in 2026 so it's all to do with the car um all to do with the porpoising and everyone else is in the same boat they're all trying to figure out what's going wrong it's obviously a lot worse for mercedes because their car 
with the porpoising is suffering and has no lap time, has no pace or anything like that. So, you know, it's all going to be a big test for them. And especially in this cost cap era as well, you know, they can't just throw money at the problem and expect it to disappear like Lawrence Stroll does. (laughs) Um, It's going to be, it's going to take a lot more, um, decision making and you know being smart about it to be able to see how it all how it all works and that is the hallmark of a a great team like Mercedes so I have faith that they are not going to be done or defeated by this or it's not over for anyone thinking that oh Lewis Hamilton is going to like quit now because of this or whatever if he does then it would kind of leave it would leave a bad taste in my mouth. I'm sure a lot of other people's mouths would say, oh, you know, he can't deal with having a, a bad car or whatever or not winning all the time. So it's up for him, It's up to him and his leadership, Toto Wolf and all, to get together and say, look, you know, we either cut our losses with this car um, and look towards next year because, you know, of course, with the um, sliding scale of aero development, depending on where you are in the Constructors' Championship, actually finishing a bit lower might be beneficial for them uh, for the next year or whatever um, in terms of the wind tunnel runs and testing. I'm not saying that they should tank uh, this season, but like instead of throwing their resources at trying to turn this season around, you know, just focus more on next year and try and trial some stuff this year for next year, you know, bring some experimental upgrades and all within the confines of the budget cap, of course. So um, there's plenty of possibilities. And I think giving up and, you know, being all negative about it is not going to be the um, solution to it. And when you (laughs) look at the end of the day as well, George Russell, fourth race for Mercedes this or fifth race if you include Sakir Grand Prix a couple of years ago he's not finished outside the top five in a single one he's been on the podium as has Lewis of course in the first race finished fourth again on the weekend I mean you know just because the boy is used to driving a bad car he knows um, how to get the most of it out of it we still have to appreciate the fact that you know he's doing really well at the moment. I don't want that to be something that's ignored amongst all the stuff going on with with Hamilton and stuff. So, yeah, it's a, it's a tough one, but also it's something that you know we shouldn't all get too swept up in. You know, we shouldn't all start making it out like it's the end of the end of the world. It's the end of an era or whatever. After all, Formula One is such a cyclical. Um, cyclical sport you know and teams successes come and go I mean Mercedes the best thing about Mercedes or the worst thing about Mercedes if you're one of those neutral fans or um, fans of any other team is that you know their success that they've had since 2014 has lasted such a long time when you look back at Ferrari in the 2000s with with Michael Schumacher McLaren in the late 80s early 90s with Ayrton Senna Alan Prost uh, Williams as well in their dominant days you know it only lasted at, at most four years five years or whatever but for Mercedes and Red Bull as well four years but Mercedes for the better part of eight years have been at the top of the sport and that doesn't come without you know some of the greatest engineering minds and tactical minds and just team team players coming together and and creating such a great team and I think the 
biggest challenge in the most positive way is to this great team is to try and turn themselves around um, from where they are at the moment, you know, in the in the little hole that they are, to, if not, you know, have a year where they finish third or fourth in the constructors, to, you know, get ready to be in title contention for next year, having better understood this car, and be like, right, Hamilton, go out there and win that eighth world championship, and then you can retire kind of thing. Don't just walk away now where, you know, you're going to look like a salty... Um, individual who can't stand not being able to win or whatever so it's going to be a test for everyone but there's no need to get the the negativity out there just yet so I think I've made my point very clear on that um, drop me a line if you disagree of course that hit the apex media on twitter and all but um, I feel like I've made I've made my point clear about it, and I wish them I wish them best of luck, you know, because they are one of the great teams in Formula One, and you know if they can turn themselves around quicker than Ferrari have in the last decade since the last time they won a championship, that only makes them better than Ferrari in my opinion, and of course Red Bull as well um, since 2014. So um, yeah, that's those guys. Um, Talking while we're on the subject of Mercedes, their former driver in Valtteri Bottas um, had one of his best weekends as well for Alfa Romeo, finishing in fifth. So he did well in the sprint, was seventh, and then finished the race in fifth. If it wasn't for a slow pit stop that he had, he would have finished in fourth ahead of Russell. So um, they both battled to the finish line uh, without crashing, of course, like they did last year. But um, how good is it looking for those guys at the moment, or particularly for for Valtteri Bottas when um, he is finishing ahead of his former team? Made a pretty good decision, did did old Valtteri to get out of there, perhaps, um, you could say. And also, Max Verstappen having lapped uh, Lewis Hamilton as well over the weekend, that would have been um, an interesting moment. Um, for Red Bull fans and maybe not so for Hamilton and Mercedes fans uh, seeing that happen. Um, Behind them, we had Leclerc in sixth and then he passed Yuki Tsunoda and Sebastian Vettel when he switched to the fresh fresh soft tyres after the uh, crash that he had when he lost his um, chance at the podium. But for those two in particular, they would have celebrated points regardless. Especially Sebastian Vettel and Aston Martin after the weekend that they had in Australia. You had not only Vettel finishing in 8th, but also Stroll in 10th too. So both Aston Martin scoring points and um, getting themselves on the board in the Constructors' Championship, which means all the teams have now scored a point, which you know I think is the quickest um, the entire field in a F1 season have scored points it's only taken four races so it just shows you how competitive and how jumbled the order is at the moment um Vettel doing rather well uh it's what you expect to see from him but still Aston Martin not quite where they want to be competitively and you know just performance wise stroll in a 10th as well ahead of Alex Albon who again puts in an amazing performance uh, qualifies 18th in the sprint race, goes on to finish P11. He outshone his teammate Nicholas Latifi again, which again, um, Latifi coming under a bit of scrutiny for over his future there at Williams. Um, an interesting quote that I picked up 
on the weekend as well and a reminder of something that um, Williams had said coming into this season is that you know they're not in a position they're not in a position like previous years where they have to rely on um, income from a driver to for a driver to be able to race you know so you know basically referring to the fact that you know the last few seasons they've had to rely on Latifi's uh, sponsorship money and whatnot to be able to to race and give him a seat essentially so you know the decision to keep Latifi on this season was made purely on merit in that instance and you know when you look at the way Latifi was last year he did quite well scored some points you know was looking competitive at times but still not obviously as good as Russell but the way that this season has started out for him it is very very dire you know the fact that we don't have a certain um uh, Russian driver in the in the sport anymore means that you know Latifi's kind of the butt of the jokes at the moment. Um, not that you know being the butt of the jokes means that you should keep a seat in Formula One or not, but at the same time, because you know we've got uh, one L Stroll racing for Aston Martin on a um, you know uh, a lifetime contract basically, but um, for Latifi he's going to have to turn his performance around like. Albon didn't score points this time, but to go from 18 to 11th is impressive, um, especially when you look at uh, Oscar Piastri waiting in the wings and his name being linked to possible Williams switch next year. It's looking more likely that Alpine will stick with the status quo and perhaps even offer Fernando Alonso a multi-year deal or two-year deal to stay the team with Esteban Ocon. So where does um, Piastri go then? Obviously, he's the Alpine reserve and test driver this season. They'd be silly not to have him on the grid next year, the reigning Formula 2 champion. So Williams seems like a team that would be good for him. And that would be great to see two genuinely quick drivers um, and not a pay driver driving for Williams. You know, Albon obviously didn't have a great time at Red Bull and was outshone by Verstappen. Um, so, but, you know, being here at Williams, you know, if he had someone like uh, Piastri in the team, how would that go for him? You know, it would be nice to see them both kind of at each other and um, develop. And, you know, there's still other options uh, on the grid as well. It's really hard. I was trying to think about how the silly season would play out in my head uh, earlier today. And it looks a bit jumbled because... While you have all those key seats filled, um, you have to look at only you only have to look at Aston Martin, Alfa Romeo, um, you know Haas, all those all those other seats, McLaren potentially as well with Daniel Ricciardo. Um, uh, there could be changes for next year, so there's still a lot that can play out. We could have a very different grid next year, um, certainly in the midfield and at the back of the field, but um, only time will tell how that pans out. Um, going back to Kevin Magnussen and Haas, he finished ninth in the race, so that was quite good for them. Unfortunately for Mick Schumacher, his 10th on the grid after the sprint race was wasted because uh, he got hit by Fernando Alonso on the first lap, which led to Alonso retiring and then Schumacher finishing down in 17th. So, you know, there's even been questions about young Mick, whether he's cut for F1 or not, or whether he's going to um, stay put at Haas for next season. He's got a teammate now which is uh, proven and is an actual talented driver, um, and so far, young Mick has not been able to um, best him, but it's still quite early days yet in the season, and we know that 
typically from other championships that Schumacher has raced in, that he does come better in his second season. So hopefully we will see that um, as the season progresses and um, he can keep his seat at Haas. But also, most importantly, we want Oscar Piastri on the grid for next year. Um, and ending there with Guan Zhou going from pit lane to P15, obviously having that crash uh, in the sprint race with Pierre Gasly, um, they couldn't, you know, they had to start from the pit lane after Alfa Romeo rebuilt that car, and even he made it to 15th ahead of Latifi, so, um, and but we know the Alfa Romeo is a more competitive car, so, uh, you know, if Latifi fancies that he's better than, than, Zo, uh, than Joe, then, um, yeah, he's not really doing anything to show that at the moment, so... Yeah, that kind of wraps up um, wraps up the Emilia Romagna Grand Prix. Can have a look at the standings if we want, real quickly. See where everyone's at. So, as I said, twenty-seven points at the top of the table between Leclerc and Verstappen. Perez has moved up into third as well. Russell in fourth ahead of Sainz and Norris, while Lewis Hamilton has slumped to seventh and only four points ahead of Valtteri Bottas, who's in the Alfa Romeo. Um, and then, yeah, you've got Ma- Esteban Ocon, Kevin Magnussen rounding out the top ten, and only. Two drivers currently on the grid without points, and that's Mick Schumacher and Nicholas Latifi. And in terms of the standings, Latifi is still behind Nika Hulkenberg, who subbed in for Seb Vettel in the opening two races, um, albeit scoring zero points, but it just depends on who had the higher finish. And unfortunately, Latifi has not had a higher finish than Hulkenberg's two results in the opening two races, so that's not looking good for him. And then in the Constructors' Championship as well, Ferrari uh, is only now 11 points ahead of Red Bull in first, Mercedes in third, uh, comfortably ahead of McLaren for now, and then McLaren comfortably ahead of Alpha, Alpine, and the other Alpha being an Alpha Tauri, um, and Haas, they're kind of, you know, four teams battling over fifth at the moment, and then you've got Aston Martin and Williams at the rear with Aston Martin jumping ahead finally. So next up, we've got the Miami Grand Prix, the first race, uh, or the first, what do you mean? First time, I should say, that F1's going to Miami. Um, You're going to think that F1 um, will be doing everything they can to make that event a success, even though the um, fake yacht club that they've got looks pretty horrible. Um, people have been laughing at pictures that they've released of the, um, track at the moment. (laughs) They've got like a concrete, they've got a concrete car park and some yachts parked in it where there should be some water or whatever. So I don't know what's going on with that. It's, it's pretty silly. I've already made my thoughts clear, you know, on street circuits like Jeddah. Um, and then of course, even though we didn't race at Vietnam, I still didn't like the track, um, yeah, yeah, we don't need more of those. I mean, it's good for, for them and their plans of trying to get F1 more popular in the US or whatever, but like we've got, you know, too many races in the Middle East at the moment, two races in America will be enough. Like, if Miami fails, you know, and they keep Vegas and Cota, that'd be great. Um, obviously, they've had some trouble with s- some uh, locals 
having protested against, you know, noise and whatnot, that it's going to be disruptive and damaging to the community and everything like that. And they went to court and they lost it. It does sound a little bit like Albert Park in that instance, but then look at the benefits of um, having a race in Melbourne and Albert Park has done for um, local business and all that. So even though Miami seems completely the opposite because it seems like a race only for the rich and exclusive because, you know, tickets apparently cost a fortune and um, I don't think anyone fancies paying an arm and a leg to, to be seen there, as will be the case with Vegas, I hear. So, yeah, you know, there goes any plans I have of um, possibly going there in 2023. Um, other things going around, hearing this morning that the race directors, both Niels Vittich and Eduardo Freitas, have tested positive for COVID. What a situation. I mean, I thought, you know, they'd be alternating uh, roles and not being there together every weekend. Or, like, they are alternating, you know, only one person is really in charge, but I didn't think that both would be uh, at a race every weekend like I saw in Australia. I'm like, oh, cool, Niels Vidic, is he's on all the um, documentation this weekend. He's the racing director. And then I see Eduardo Freitas just chilling, you know, doing doing his thing. I'm like, well, it's, not, it's nice to see you, of course, but... Why, why two of you together, you know, the point of, um, I thought the point of having alternating race directors was to possibly avoid a situation like this. And now both have tested positive for COVID, which, you know, I hope they, they recover, um, in time for Miami, but what will happen, what will happen if, uh, they both cannot partake in the directing of the race in Miami? Does that mean they call Nika Hulkenberg in? You know, just super sub Hulkenberg, Hulkenback, 4.0. <laughs> Do they throw a bone at Michael Massey? That would be quite interesting. <laughs> that would be very interesting. I don't think that's going to happen, but um, I'm just throwing it out there. It would be, it would be quite interesting. But the more, um, the more like logical uh, solution would, I think, to be put Herbie Blash in that position, of course. But um, who knows if that will happen either. So, yeah, not looking good. Um, not good news in terms of that. Um, we had Ross Braun as well earlier in the week talking about F1 looking at the possibility of six sprint races again in 2023. That was originally what was the plan for this year, but I guess off the mixed um, mixed feedback from 2021 where they trialled them on three occasions, they just thought maybe three is enough and we'll go with that. So after the fact that we've succeeded with the first one in 2022, they're like, all right, let's do six again. And I think that'll change until, um, that'll change again when the next one fails. So we'll wait and see, um, when that happens and when is the next sprint? I do not know for the life of me. So when it comes around, I'll, I'll let you know, I'm not going to go looking for it anyway at the moment. We'll move it on though um, to wrap things up. Uh, supercars returning to Perth for the first time since 2019. Exciting as well because after Perth, um, there will be a return to Winton here in Victoria as well. So return to Winton Motor Raceway uh, for the first time since 2019 as well. Um, both of those venues having been skipped over the last two years because of the coronavirus pandemic. And also for Perth especially, WA, the old West um, having been shut to the rest of the world for quite some time as well. So 
um, good for them to be open up again and um, to let the supercars come in and do their thing at Barbagallo Raceway. It's been a great um, stomping ground for the Shelby Power Racing team who've won the last seven races there um, dating back to 2017. So three three consecutive years, seven races. They've been successful there between Scott McLaughlin and Fabian Coulthard, of course, the old uh, Shell V Power team back in the DJR team Penske days. Can they, though, this year um, go on and continue that success? I don't know, because it's not been a great start to the season for the old Ford Mustang, no matter uh, whether it's the Tickford or um, the DGR team. Already talked about Will Davison last time, how, you know, he just just seems to be second best, but cannot quite get the job done like can he actually come in and come in and break that winless uh, streak he's had some success here before uh 2012 that was an epic race where he and his fpr teammate mark winterbottom took on jamie wincup and then of course it was such a close finish um with uh it ending up as an fpr one two that epic race in 2015 as well where in the erebus mercedes benz he finished um, he won essentially from last, I think it was as well, such a um, race of heavy tyre degradation as well, so that's why you see kind of these uh, drivers fall away at the end unless they're on the right tyre, so even though we've got a night race on Saturday, um, it is quite key to look after your tyres in this instance, but um, yeah, you know, can Davison break through, you know, because... If he doesn't hear, then where will he? Same for Anton Di Pasquale, really, as well. You know, they he would have thought that you would have thought that he'd be up there. I mean, he's second in the championship, which is which is good. He's been consistent, but to actually get the win under his belt, you know, could only do the world of wonders for your confidence. Um, and when you also look at the fact that Shane Van Gisbergen has never won in Perth. I mean, that's quite extraordinary when you look at how much winning he's done in the last few years. But then again, we've only raced at Sydney Motorsport Park a million times um, in the last two years. So, of course, all these wins have come there. That's not true, by the way. Um, SVG's highest finish has been um, P3. Unfortunately, he caught COVID after the Australian Grand Prix and the Melbourne 400, so he missed the Bathurst six-hour over Easter. Um, so hopefully he's doing okay as well fitness-wise. We know it can catch a few drivers out when they do return immediately after having a bit of COVID, like we know in F1. So um, we'll see how Shane's doing there. But um, when you look at Triple Eight, they've been pretty successful in Perth as well, obviously, before DJR Team Penske did um, their handiwork from 2017 onwards. 2016, they had that iconic 1-2-3 finish, of course, with Craig Lowndes um, in the third car, winning ahead of Jamie Winkup and Van Gisbergen. So, you know, they've done pretty well there. But also, Chas Mostert has done well there in the past as well for um, Pro Drive and for Tickford. So, could he have a good weekend in the uh, appliances? No, not appliances online. Uh, can never keep up with these sponsors. The Optus Mobile One Commodore, Walker Jetty United. Get in there, Chaz. 
get in there. <laughs> um, looking forward to it, though. It should be a good weekend. Um, what time is the... It's, well, uh, yeah, it's 8.40 p.m. Um, it's, it's a good race for Europeans. If you're up um, in the morning, fancy watching some supercars, I think you'll be able to watch it this time as well after what happened in Melbourne, um, not being able to watch the Melbourne 400 over there. So um, the Saturday night race in Perth will actually be good for the European audiences. And then, yeah, another pair of races on Sunday to round out the Perth Super Night. So, yeah, that pretty much wraps up this week's show as always um find me on hit at hit the apex media on twitter even though it's not very um i'm not actively as on it as other people um are on their twitters but also you can follow the link tree through to instagram and my uh profile on the raw for when i do my live blogging and articles um as always i will return for the miami grand prix review as well so in in a couple of weeks time um but other than that hope everyone stays well have a good weekend whatever you're doing and um yeah we'll see you then bye